0: You are listening to The order Transmissions, episode 36. 36. And now, here are Craig and Jeff.
1: Welcome back to the Tricorder Transmissions. As always, this is Craig Cohen
2: and Jeff Hewlett.
1: And this week, Jeff, we are going to take a look at the episode's "Cat's Paw."
2: Did you just snicker?
1: <laughs> I tried to make it suspenseful for some silly reason. No, oh. I guess it fits with the theme of that this that episode, though.
2: Yeah, it is kind of a, a whimsical episode, I suppose.
1: Yes, yes. But I guess, as always, before we get to that, we'll have some uh, Star Trek related news to discuss.
2: Sure, sure. So a couple things. First thing is there is a what they're calling a Star Trek live in concert series beginning pretty soon in May, which is not too far from now. It's actually starting in the in Europe, in the UK and Switzerland. And then coming to the, the U.S. for a few dates. One, The only one close to us, Craig, is in Philadelphia at the Mann Center.
1: Okay, I saw Steely Dan there back in the fall.
2: Yeah, I've been there a couple times myself. It's a, it's a nice place. Yeah. yeah. A nice beer garden there. Oh, yeah. So it seems like they're going in the same direction that the uh, Lord of the Rings movies they did a couple of years ago. What they did was they took the movie and put it on a screen and then put a live orchestra in front of it and played the score— over the film as it played so you were hearing the music done live so let's do the same thing with uh into darkness and the 2009 uh star trek reboot film wow so
1: that'll be a long a long uh, program
2: uh looks like it so in the philadelphia one for example they're doing into darkness that night that's really our only choice if we were to go to that that's on July thirty first. Oh, we're going to be at the convention.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because I know at the convention there's going to be some kind of concert event uh, built around some music being recreated. But I haven't really looked too much at that uh, at what that program is going to entail. But that's pretty neat, you know. Anytime uh, people have a chance to go out there and hear uh, the music from a movie isolated. And, and performed live is 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 pretty neat. I know you've uh, gone to a couple of different ones for that, and I know um, one of the special features on DVDs that I used to love that seem to have been going away is the isolated score track, which uh, really allows you to hear how the music really works with the rest of the film.
2: Yeah, absolutely. If you're a fan of scores, that's a really great thing to have. But I saw all three of the Lord of the Rings movies uh, done that way. So I had the Fellowship of the Ring, the Two Towers, and Return of the King. And they were all just spectacular. They had the actual voice choirs there and the soloists and a huge, huge orchestra. And I caught myself so many times watching the actual movie and not focusing enough on the music and I would feel guilty and Then I'd focus <laughs> like, back on the music, right? Yeah, you're like,
1: that's what I paid for.
2: <laughs> yeah, and uh, but it sounds so great. And yeah, uh, any chance to hear... A live orchestra today for me is, is a huge, huge treat. It just doesn't happen often enough. Well,
1: that's All really right. neat, and I guess we'll re- we'll report it on it when it gets closer to it, and uh, you know, hopefully, um, the experience um, that they're creating at the convention in Vegas will uh, will be enough to uh, whet our appetite, if you will.
2: Yeah, I, if we were in town, I probably would have uh, bit the bullet and gone to this. Just to just to hear the orchestra, but so moving on a little bit of real life news. Seems like last Saturday the USS. I hope I'm saying this right. The USS Zumwalt
1: uh, sounds good to me.
2: Yeah, Z U M W A L T is it, a ship, and it was captained by the real life James Kirk. <laughs> uh, it was actually commissioned last Saturday, and William Shatner our beloved Captain Kirk was unable to attend, but he sent the real life Captain Kirk a little letter to apologize for not being able to be there. I I thought that would have been really cool if if Captain Kirk was standing next to Captain Kirk at the commissioning of this thing.
1: Yeah, that would have been really cool. But you know what? Sending a letter is is pretty neat. That's a nice nice gesture.
2: Yeah, there's a, a signed photo of Shatner and the letter. That went with it. So that's kind of cool that uh, he acknowledged that the real life Captain Kirk is actually captaining a vessel.
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
2: Yeah, it's pretty neat. So that about wraps up the news section of the show. So you want to get ready to jump into our scene-specific commentary? Uh, You know it. All right. So the air date for the original version of Cat's Paw was October 27th of 1967, hauntingly close to Halloween, I might add. Yes. And the remastered version came out on October 28th of 2006, again, hauntingly close to Halloween. Mm -hmm.
1: And I've got the write-up from the October 21st, 1967 issue of TV Guide. Castles, dungeons, witches, and black cats pervade this episode as Kirk seeks a rational explanation of an escape from the alien forces that have lured him to Pyrus Seven. It's a dark, forbidding planet, devoid of life, at least as earthlings know it. Script by Robert Bloch. Well,
2: wow, that's longer than normal.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I guess maybe. they uh they really decided to do it up.
2: Yeah, gave cats the treatment. So, all right, let's get started with our scene specific commentary in three. Two, one.
1: So, um I know in the intro you mentioned the proximity to Halloween. Mm-hmm. And even though this was um produced pretty early in the season, um at some point it was decided that Star Trek was going to have uh, a quote-unquote Halloween episode. Yeah. So, so, this one was earmarked for that slot, which really sort of puts this episode into a new light for me.
2: Yeah, it does. It's funny because— this is one of those uh, cocktail party type things. And I've talked about this episode with a lot of people, and some, sometimes people think that it was unintentionally a Halloween episode, and sometimes they know the actual history, and they're like, yeah, this was the actual quote-unquote Halloween holiday episode. So uh, it is, in fact, written and produced to be a Halloween episode. In fact, cause it was the first episode, I believe, that was produced in season two. It was
1: darn close because this is the first episode with Chekhov, right? Um, from a production standpoint, and that's why he's going to have the, uh, the wig that we all uh, know and love.
2: Yeah. So they held it off uh, until the week of Halloween. Mm-hmm. So it definitely was intended to be a Halloween episode.
1: Yes. And in Robert Bloch's original script, um, this character that just fell off the transporter Ooh. and died was written as Sulu. <laughs>
2: <laughs> wow, that was a hell of a fall
1: that oh, guy just it, took. Tremendous fall.
2: Great stunt work.
1: Yeah, and I guess the producers looked at the script and said, well, we're not killing off Sulu, and that character doesn't come back to life. Yeah, so, really. Uh, <laughs> it just shows, I guess, when you bring in outside writers, um, either uh, blot didn't really know um, how important Sulu was, or... Um, Thought it would be cool to kill him off, but I'm yeah. sure to much to George Takai's, uh, you know, uh, you know uh, surprise um, or joy, he wasn't killed off.
2: Yeah, thank God. So I'm tired of seeing the characters killed off and brought back immediately in the same it, episode.
1: Yeah. And actually there is a deleted sequence script-wise oh. um, that actually explains how that crew member died and uh, without explanation um, why – uh, McCoy's diagnosis is that he froze to death. Hmm. Yeah. So well, that uh, would
2: kill anybody, I guess. Yeah. All right.
1: So we already mentioned that Robert Bloch, uh, wrote this episode. He also wrote, as we know and love the episode, what are little girls made of yeah, sir. And he also wrote the novel psycho, uh, in addition to dozens of other novels. And we might as well talk about the director while we're talking about behind the scenes stuff. It's Joseph sure. Pevney who, you know, directed 14 episodes of the series total, previously saw him this season on the Apple, and we're next going to see his directing work on The Journey to Babel.
2: Oh, all right. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So we just got through the stinger, getting the title, Cat's Paw, written by Robert Block. Mm-hmm. Uh, the remaster has a much cooler-looking planet.
1: Yeah. You I know. like
2: that cracked yeah. uh, surface look.
1: Yeah, that's the first thing I really noticed as I was like, wow, the, those flyby scenes look even better than they normally do in the remastered uh episodes. So uh it's it's kind of funny that you picked that out as well.
2: Yeah. Oh, and, you know, here we are in obviously an indoor set with uh some rocks, Yeah. yeah sort of rocks. And, uh of a little bit of a little bit of a little it, we're, we're pretty solidified here, cast wise. And, you know, this guy just beams back from the planet dead. So the three top guys <laughs> in the ship beam down without security. Yeah, and with to with uh, their
1: chief engineer um, already down on the planet. Yeah, I mean. Who normally sits in for Kirk when he's not there if, if Kirk and Spock are gone.
2: It just seems so insecure to have all three. Wouldn't they beam down a security detail to check stuff out first?
1: Yeah, well, especially because at this point, what um, Sulu and and Scott have—they're uh, not even getting readings from them anymore, yeah, right? They've, they've,
2: yeah, they've they've essentially vanished. Look at that smoke work. With the, yeah, the smoke. that's really great that they can have that low-lying smoke there. That doesn't yeah. really permeate too much up. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, I wonder if that involved uh, fans when they weren't shooting or something to, to keep it keep down. It Who down, knows? Yeah.
2: Oh, we've got some life forms. Sp- See how Spock's holding the tricorder the right way. Yeah. <laughs> you leave it to Spock. So he knows how to use that thing. Yeah. So kind of strange landscape. I guess it's kind of up. Oh, and here is this red shirt guy who has been left in charge. And our first shot of Sulu, I mean, not Sulu Chekhov, with this huge Davy Jones wig on. Yeah. So this was his first produced episode, and the wig is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, that must have been jarring considering that the previous episode we saw him on, he, um, he had his, his normal hair. That's right. Um, this That's other right. crew member, though, is uh, billed as DeSalle, Lieutenant mm-hmm. DeSalle. Yep. That's Michael Barrier, and he actually appears on two other episodes uh, The Squire of Gothos and This Side of Paradise. And uh, he seems to have a slightly different job role. Um, On each episode, yeah, this uh, one
2: he's pretty well trusted because he's in command of the ship, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he's what like second in command to Scotty in terms of the engineering crew.
2: Yeah, so now he's actually left in the captain's chair on the Enterprise, and the funny thing is, he's left there, kind of. You would think there'd be other people who are still on the ship who who outrank him. Yeah, but uh, apparently not. I guess because Sulu. Uh, is lost and Scotty is lost. I, w- I wonder if there's some sort of a, a a rank chart that we could look up somewhere that would tell us who's officially where on the rankings. I mean, w-
1: I'm sure there is. And I actually, I wish that uh, either Vernon was with us yeah. or uh, <laughs> or even some of our listeners out there I know yeah. would probably, uh, probably have this committed to memory. And now here we get one of the um, Halloween-type moments from this episode where we have... Yeah um These like witches,
2: yeah. These are um, kind of hokey looking to me. <laughs> this is one of those spots where I wish they'd done some remastered effects on them.
1: Oh my god, that would have been really neat. This long shot here looks pretty cool though, where they're just floating.
2: Yep, yep. It's not really
1: until the close ups that things start to look a little questionable for me.
2: See, now I'm I'm looking at this episode with subtitles on, and it actually just said male witch.
1: Yeah, I I thought one of the voices sounded male, and I wasn't sure if it was just the guy doing the, the voiceover or if it was supposed to be a male character.
2: I, I, I also thought a male witch was called a warlock, but <laughs> that's just me. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong on that one. No, no, you're very right. They yeah. they made a whole oh, look series at the of eyebrow. Movies. Yeah. Did you see that gigantic eyebrow? Look at the one in the middle. You can see him really well. Yeah. Talk about some spirit gum.
1: <laughs> so they're basically. Um, warning them, uh, that, that, uh, there's a, a curse.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's Sp- Kirk asks Spock for comment and Spock says very bad poetry. Oh, it's good. So typical Spock. Yeah. It's a great reaction. Yeah.
1: And I just want to point out here before it actually make, makes its, uh, its, its appearance that my cat, um, Elliot has decided to perch on the bed in front of my monitor.
2: And we see we were talking about having cats with us when we did this episode.
1: Yeah, and normally he doesn't hang around. Sometimes he'll come in and sit on my lap or or whatnot. But tonight he's decided to sit in front of the monitor, and Very I will. Uh,
2: I'll
1: snap a picture of it um, that we can maybe put up uh, somewhere.
2: Yeah, I have opted not to let my cats in the room because I just didn't know how much noise they were going to make. But uh, maybe I can get up and open the door real quick. <laughs> Man, maybe I won't. <laughs> one cat's enough right well you can't keep we have three and you, you can't let one in and not the others that would be disastrous oh sure so all right oh look at kirk's hair got messed up in that wind is that one of the only times we've ever seen kirk's hair really get messed up
1: i think so Usually it's
2: perfect well i guess even kirk is fallible <laughs> oh it settled back down a little bit this must have been a different take yeah. He has to fix his hair between takes. Oh, and did they do the remaster? Did they do a remastered castle? Or is you know that what? the I, actual castle? I didn't go and A B it. I I have to do that because I don't yeah. I don't recall. I don't think I've seen the non-remastered version of this since I was a kid.
1: Yeah, this was one of those episodes that I um as I sat down to watch it for this episode, I said, This is one of those Trek episodes that I've seen exactly once. And it was probably sometime in the mid 90s.
2: I've probably seen this, I want to say about at least two to three times. Uh, once was in the when I originally got the Blu ray set and I watched every episode. In- I remember
1: in- you tweeting all those. I used to follow your, uh, your tweets as you went oh, through. Oh, yeah. I was a live series. tweeting
2: that, wasn't I?
1: Yeah, it was great.
2: I really should go back and, and pull those out. I think you can download all that stuff. I think
1: if nothing else, you can record. You can request an archive. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I should do that and see if I could get all, a copy of all my. I think I live tweeted just about every episode I watched.
1: Yeah, I remember, you know, it popping up, you know, on random days. I would up oh, Jeff's watching, uh, watching some Star Trek.
2: Oh, I binged big. There were nights I watched three or four episodes in a row.
1: Yeah, and you know what's funny is that uh, tweeting experience probably indirectly led to us getting together to actually. Do the tricorder transmission? It
2: certainly did, and it also brought a couple of people into my regular followers list that I interact with on a regular basis now. Oh, that's awesome! So yeah, a couple of people had started to respond to my my tweets, and I you know followed them, and they followed me, and it was pretty cool. Ah, sweet! So more more friends in Trek out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, and now the smoke has gotten pretty heavy.
2: Yeah, and they're they're approaching the open door to go into this quite kind of interesting looking castle. Uh-oh, yeah. there's that big there's that black cat. Yeah. Now, that is not a happy cat. I that, that, I wonder if they was that a trained cat?
1: I'd imagine at that point there had to be some kind of Hollywood uh, based um animal provider.
2: I'm sure.
1: You know, you know I'm like, sure. you know, Pets of Hollywood or something like that, can, whatever.
2: <laughs> Do you look at the look on Kirk's face? He's totally not buying into any of this. He's like, Get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, totally and he, and nonchalant. He
1: said, yeah, and he references it's It feels like somebody's playing a trick-or-treat trick or treat. on him.
2: Oh, now they have to explain yeah. trick-or-treating to Spock because, mm-hmm. of course, Volk is— You know, he's very well-versed in human history, but he doesn't know about Halloween.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it got me thinking because I said, you know what? Um, even from—in um, our lifetime, um, Halloween is sort of really— um, changed a lot in mm-hmm. terms of how visible it is. Oh, big time! Um, I mean, when we were younger, uh, in the what the late '70s and the '80s, um, we actually used to go door to door trick or treating. Yes. Um, you know, you see that scene in like ET where the you know the entire um, town mm-hmm. is you know just you know lining the sidewalks and in basically in the middle of the road. That's you know, it's like Halloween like. takes over. And now it's very, very rare, uh, at least in my area. Um, yes. I don't even buy candy anymore.
2: Yeah, I don't either. We don't get any trick or treaters here. When I was a kid, you know, in the 70s and the 80s, we would walk and we'd steal our parents' pillowcases. Mom would get really mad to steal her pillowcase because <laughs> you could fit more candy. So yeah. And you would go for, I, mean, you could go a half a mile, a mile away from your house. Oh, yeah. And it was not a problem. And now it's like they take the kids to the mall and they trick or treat in stores. Yeah. You know, it's a shame that the, the experience has kind of gotten it's but it's it's more commercial now though than it used to be too.
1: Yeah, and now it's just That'd an excuse different. really for adults to dress up in silly or sexy costumes.
2: Yeah, I say we try a, a new Halloween tradition and on every Halloween we watch Cat's Paw. I'm game. All right, me too.
1: I know that's right around your birthday too, so Halloween
2: uh, is my birthday. So. Yeah,
1: it, <laughs> yeah, it could be a a a, a, a birthday uh, Halloween celebration.
2: And this actually, this this recording is a celebration of your birthday, which happened recently. So cat's paw is your birthday, too. Wow. Isn't that convenient? Look at that. <laughs> Amazing. So anyway, back to this episode. So more cat. Uh-oh. Yeah. The and cat they've has... been lured into a trap where they've fallen through the floor.
1: Yeah. Mm. And as a cat owner, I can say it's not that out of the realm of possibility that um, a cat could lure you into a
2: trap like Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm constantly lured into cat traps where they jump out and <laughs> and jump on my legs as I'm walking by. But yeah. Look, a dungeon.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, this is uh, some of the stuff that I really, really enjoy in this episode is just some of the visuals that you would never expect to see in a Star Trek episode. No. Um, and also just sort of how the images – work with each other you have this like medieval almost castle dungeon setting but then you've got guys in starfleet uniforms
2: yeah and and obviously a plastic skeleton hanging there which you know they they went really over and above i think with some of these set pieces like this dungeon looks really good yeah but then they hang like an obviously fake looking skeleton in there it kind of takes you out of the experience in a way Mm -hmm. but it is kind of cool to see Kirk and Spock chained up in a dungeon there. And Spock, you would think Spock might be strong enough to pull the chains out of the wall. Yeah. You know, he but, is pretty strong.
1: Yeah, but Spock almost seems like he didn't be the type of guy that's like, you know what? I'm not going to do that until I have a, a, a better handle on the situation. Hmm. I'm just giving him the benefit of the doubt from a logic standpoint.
2: <laughs> yeah. So speaking of logic, now they're kind of reasoning out. That uh, these images that they're seeing or these realities that they've been put into are straight out of the uh, human fears and the human psyche. So Mm -hmm. someone has been crafting this based on the, the, the common fears of human beings. Yes. And now enter Scotty and Sulu, obviously not in control of their own faculties.
1: Yes, and in fact, sometimes even referred to as zombies.
2: Oh, how Halloween.
1: (laughs) At least in some of the stuff that I read leading up to this episode. I mean, uh, in terms of the the Hollywood technical term, they are not the undead, but uh, they are very zombie-like.
2: Yes, and speaking of zombie-like, Sulu actually has no dialogue in this
1: episode. And what, Scotty has one line. I
2: think one line, but it's not really even a line. It's only a couple of words.
1: yeah. Well, one thing I had read uh, regarding this is in the original script, those were just two random crew members. And uh, it was suggested that they use um, Scotty and Sulu since they ha- they weren't really utilized much in the episode. Ah. Um, but you'd assume that Scotty would have been playing um, or handling the role that uh, DeSalle had. But... Uh, you would think. Who, who knows? Either way, I do know that Sulu... It might have been that Sulu wasn't slated for this episode at all,
2: hmm. and
1: um, it was suggested that since they had him on uh, as a regular cast member, um, they might well uh, might as well utilize him as opposed to a uh, you know a random uh, extra. Um, but it's also cool because it gives um, you know a sense of danger to this episode because you know then you're gonna. Be sitting through this episode trying to figure out how Scotty and Sulu are going to be freed from their um, their trance.
2: It's actually a good point. I yeah. hadn't thought about it that way. So it's nice to see that they're making good decisions about how to use the regular cast members instead of how we've seen them being cast aside for unknown <laughs> and non-reused extras who just show up and disappear. Yeah. I really— like the fact that you get more screen time from Sulu and he's doing other things besides just sitting behind a console. Yeah. So it makes, makes, it makes for a more cohesive watch in my opinion.
1: Yeah. So we just had some teleportation where um, Kirk and Spock and McCoy sort of jumped Scott and Sulu and they were transferred to this, um, this other room. Yeah.
2: It looks like a kind of almost like a throne room. Anyway, yeah. it's got a red carpet, and the guy is the guy sitting there, a bald dude K-Rub. with a beard. Cool, yeah. yeah, yeah. Shame, that's, shame of it. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say
1: that's actor Theo Marcus who actually died, yeah, um, in a car accident like a month after this uh, episode um aired. Yeah, it's um, a shame. At the age of forty seven, and he was a TV and stage actor, and he was on uh, an episode of The Monkees, Peter Gunn, The Man yeah. from Uncle, and a lot of those other. 1960s shows that we always talk about on yeah, this. Uh, I
2: remember him on the monkeys. I was a huge, huge monkeys fan. I've seen all of the episodes many, many times. And I remembered him from the monkey. So when I watched cat's Paw again and I saw him, I'm like, Oh, he's so familiar. Yeah. So always nice to see those, uh, cro- actors crossing shows.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is really neat.
2: Korob. That's a weird name.
1: It. It is. It is.
2: Hmm. But th-
1: so this is really where the the episode's really going to sort of kick in from a, a story perspective in terms of really establishing what's going on here.
2: Yeah, and Kirk just said mumbo-jumbo. <laughs> mumbo-jumbo. I'm surprised that that slang terminology lasted into the future in Star Trek times. Yeah. I don't hear anybody say mumbo-jumbo today. In 2014, I don't. I don't think I've heard anybody say that in uh, I don't know years.
1: Well, who knows? Maybe we're going to bring it back with this uh, with this episode.
2: All right, somebody post mumbo jumbo on our <laughs> Facebook page. That would be awesome.
1: Yes. So, um, Scott, uh, Spot just referenced that this section of the solar system had been mapped before, um, and this planet had no uh readable life forms hmm. um at that time. So now we're being um. You know, clued in that there is definitely something uh, weird going on here.
2: Yeah, and they're now they're they're theorizing that the cat is like a familiar, right? Yeah. So the cat is is some sort of a moment like a demonic companion in a way. Yeah. So uh, I will find out the truth about the cat shortly, but uh, and it's you know it's funny. This is not the only episode that has. A black cat that transforms into a humanoid—is it? Oh, no! We'll see another one later on in this season, right? For uh, Assignment Earth.
1: Oh right, yeah. With Gary okay.
2: Seven and the black cat.
1: Yeah, which was supposed to what be a, a spinoff?
2: Yes, that was supposed to be a, a turn into a spinoff. Yeah, but I'll have I'll have one of my cats with me for that one for sure. Ah, cool. That's the definitive cat episode of Star Trek, the original series, I think.
1: Yeah, that cat gets a lot of play. Like he's, oh, he's yeah. driving plot points.
2: Definitely. And yeah, absolutely. And you don't really know what, what the deal is with the cat until way at the end of the episode. They hint at it and hint at it and hint at it, right? So actually, that, that this black cat looks more like a almost like a Maine Coon type of black like a long hair yeah, it's, black cat. It,
1: yeah, it's it's rare, uh, you know the the traditional Halloween black cat is a very short haired, uh, you know variety.
2: Yeah, like yours and mine. I have a yeah. short haired black cat, and you have a short haired black cat. So yeah. Oh look at this! And he's material. Oh, he materialized a plate of precious gems. Yeah, which is
1: interesting here because Kirk pretty much spells out that they are worthless to them because they could replicate these themselves on the Enterprise.
2: Exactly. And it's interesting that they still have value though, right?
1: Well, yeah. Um, Well, it almost seems like by Kirk saying they could replicate them on the Enterprise that um, whatever value they have might not be in line with, you know, the value that you know, they would hold today.
2: Right. Or Korob th- or the value that Korob thinks they have.
1: Exactly. And that's kind of a, uh, possibly an, an indicator as to, you know, where he's coming from.
2: Yeah. Or the limits of his mind probing abilities.
1: Oh, that's a good, that's so a good So
2: maybe point. what he has of humans is, is, is limited. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know necessarily, uh, some of these more deeper, uh, uh, things that, that are going on in a, in a wider society he only probed for certain information maybe right you know just enough to create this strange castle-like area and th- i like that wand that he has
1: <laughs> yes and that that's gonna it. play into uh this episode very very uh importantly uh towards the end
2: yes yes it is I, i'm I'm fascinated by it, though, It's because it's got, like, a kind of a black handle, but there's, like, a metallic end with a weird-looking orb. Yeah. It it looks almost like like some kind of technological piece on the end of it, like a mechanized something or other. Hmm.
1: Very interesting. Yeah. And now uh, the cat asks for permission to uh, to go do something, and uh, after the reveal, um, you wonder why— the cat had to ask for permission uh, or Sylvia had to ask for (laughs) permission.
2: I loved how Kirk stands up slowly when she walks in the room, like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. So she kind of reminds me a little of Marlena.
1: Yeah. I see that
2: a bit. Yeah. The hairdo is different, but, uh, she kind of looks a little bit similar in the face in a way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is actress Antoinette Bauer. Oh, born 1932 and between um, uh, the '50s and 1992, 59 to 92, she had almost 90 TV appearances. Wow! Including The Twilight Zone, Perry Mason, Hogan's Heroes, Hawaii Five-O, and um, the movie Prom Night with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Wow. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, quite an impressive career before she retired. Uh, it sounds like a, a much-deserved retire- retirement in 1992.
2: Yeah, definitely. 90, 90 appearances. That's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot of work. That's good for her. Yeah. So pretty cool makeup job. They got like a green eye shadow on her there. Yeah. So kind of make her look a little more uh-oh. So Spock has now wrestled a phaser from Scotty's hand, and we're going to find out that it's, of course— not going to work, right?
1: Yeah. And this story uh, that Robert Block uh, used for the episode was inspired by one of his short stories that he wrote in 1957 called um, Broomstick Ride. And this is one of the elements from that story that carried over into this episode, which was kind of using um, like, a, you know, an ob- a miniature version of an object um, to cause harm on the real object. Hmm. Yeah, so uh I thought that was pretty neat. And man, would I love to have this uh miniature uh enterprise on a uh, on a chain.
2: Yeah, I believe that was actually donated
1: to the Smithsonian.
2: Yeah, by by uh, Roddenberry. Yeah. Yeah, so they commissioned it for this episode specifically and then encased it in that that clear block of like lucite maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, then they wound up donating it. So She's going to hold it over the fire to demonstrate her power, and, of course, the people in the Enterprise are going to start roasting. So that is a really cool model. looks like die-cast, maybe. It's great. It's It's amazing that they would make a a mold for that Yeah, and only make one. Yeah. You know, actually, I have an Enterprise made of plastic that's about the same size as that. Oh, do you? Yeah, it lights up, too. It's a little LED light inside of it. Oh, that's
1: cool. I Actually, I do not have... um... An enterprise. Uh, I just have, you know, your, you know, your communicators, your phasers, your select, you know, uh, different sized figures. But uh, yeah, you know what? I'll, I'll have to look into. You know, I'm sure uh, at at the convention I'll find something in the a, a exhibitors room.
2: Yeah, yeah. I have a. I actually have a pretty fairly large classic TOS Enterprise uh, on top of my computer here in my office. Mm-hmm. And and,
1: uh, and didn't Tony you get um, the new Enterprise uh, with the the 2009 uh, Star Trek DVD?
2: Yes, I did. It's it's actually was a I guess I think it was the Target special edition. So it's the model of the 2009 Enterprise. And inside the saucer section is the DVD. That's awesome. Of the movie, Yeah, it is really cool looking.
1: Target does a lot of really cool um, exclusive stuff. They um, do. I have like an Iron Man head.
2: Yep, I remember uh, seeing that in your play. And you have a Hulk or something, too, don't
1: yeah, you? Yeah, like Hulk breaking through a brick wall. Um, really neat. It seems like that kind of packaging isn't as uh, isn't as utilized anymore. But
2: Yeah, I was real disappointed that Into Darkness didn't come in a cool package like that with some sort of uh, model or... Figure something neat.
1: Yeah, you thought they would have continued the trend, but instead they were like, you know what? We'll just give stores exclusive bonus features instead.
2: Yeah, <laughs> let's not get into that again. But. So um,
1: I guess, you know, Kirk believes that their uh for lack of a better word, magic um, is powerful enough for him to uh, play by their rules.
2: Yes. Yeah. So he's been he, he's. He understands he's not going to talk his way out of this necessarily or fight his way out of this with strength. He's got to cope with some other way to deal with this situation. You know what just occurred to me? Mm-hmm. Is this the first episode that features all seven of the classic characters? Now that we have Chekhov here, is this the first one that has all seven of them in it In a, from the, from a production standpoint?
1: Definitely from a production standpoint, Um and I'm trying to remember the other episodes we've talked about this season. I, I'm I'm pretty sure that you know Uhura was missing from one of them. Uh, yep. What, uh Sula was missing at one and point. I think
2: Scotty too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think I'm, so. This is definitely the first from a production standpoint, yeah. though. Mm-hmm. So oh, there's the model, the the encased in, I guess, as lucite.
1: Yeah. Or 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 um, you know, uh, transparent carbonite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Uh, bring the Solo and the Wookiee to me. Oh, yeah, and
1: my. now we learn that the, um, that is pretty much a physical representation of a force field that has been put around the Enterprise in space.
2: Yeah, now we're getting acknowledgement of it by a wigged Sulu. <laughs> and he's presenting it to the South. So it, it just appears to have appeared around the ship and it's not emanating from anywhere like we've seen in the past. So... Uh, you know, things emanated from the surface of a planet. You know, like the um, like the field that Apollo generated emanated from the planet, but this yeah. one is different. So it's just kind of there. So once once again, we, we're dealing with these kind of all powerful beings. Went back to the well again.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it, it it it's funny because. Even sort of how Kirk handles um, Sylvia is going to sort of, you know, be familiar to us as well in terms of how he's dealt with other, um, uh, I want to say, uh, less intellectual beings.
2: Hey, don't you Don't you think he, he's at the point where he's like, you know, been there, done that. I've been in this situation like four times, five mm-hmm. times already. You know, you're not scaring me anymore. I've defeated – people just like you yeah. bring it on, you know, but
1: Kirk seems like, uh, you know, the type of guy that's always about the chase. So, uh, you know, it almost seems like situations like this would sort of feed that, that, you know, that, that, you know, that side of his, uh, his personality.
2: Mm. Now, you know, if this was a show that was being made today, this, the Sal guy would be being primed for either death or for a bigger (laughs) role in the future. Right. Yeah. Right? Like, they're, they're featuring the heck out of him, and he's kind of in this heroic role where, you know, he's he's making these big decisions like, you know, hey, this if this force field exists, then we can do something about it. You know, big captain kind of thing. You know, if this was made today, he'd be getting his own ship or, uh, you know, he'd be getting bumped up to the, to the Jonathan Frakes type of position.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I mean, look at a, a show like CSI, w- which they spun off. Or, you know, NCIS, which – how many times have they spun those shows off oh, where you you know, uh, NCIS and then NCIS Los Angeles and, you know, CSI, CSI Vegas, CSI, CSI Miami? Yep. Um Law and Order. Yeah, yeah c- that would have been a, one of the cool things if Star Trek, you know, existed – Um, in a time when that was prevalent, you know, how cool would it be to have like three different Star Treks on the air at the same time?
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that also kind of feeds into something that I've been saying for a while now. If they were to put Trek back on TV, it would be really awesome to have it set in the original series time frame, but just with a different ship and a different crew
1: yeah yeah and yeah i mean and and then at that point, the possibilities are endless,
2: yeah, and you could have cameos, you know, you could have Kinto show up as Spock once in a while, or I'm sure they could get the other cast members of the actual uh, reboot movies to show up at some point. you could do a reboot you could do a rebooted show in the in the the new timeline, yeah essentially well, and
1: that's funny because you know you know Marvel had such success with uh with their movies you know Captain America the Avengers and they have that show on TV now Agents yep. of Shield which every once in a while um people from the Marvel movies you know cinematic universe will pop up on it you know not huge characters but uh you know people that have been in the movies and mm-hmm. what the the main star of that um is Agent Coulson who is uh you know basically in every Marvel movie up until the Avengers so uh yeah it's 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 always kind of sad when we we think of what could be.
2: Yeah. Oh, they brainwash uh, McCoy too. Yeah. And this
1: is sort of similar to what the return of the the archons.
2: Yep. And, and Kirk just Kirk is funny. He's just like, "Oh, Bones, not you too." He's not even it seems like he's not even taking this very seriously. Yeah. Like, "Oh my god, you know, how long do we have to endure this crap?" You know. <laughs> just go punch the alien, Kirk. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, Bones got he McCoy just got physical it with her. It was Kirk. pretty yeah. Wow, was, you know,
1: some good, some good manhandling.
2: Yeah, that's that's pretty aggressive for McCoy. You don't see him get into those uh, situations very often. Usually, if he is, he's he's out of it pretty quickly.
1: Yeah. So now we're getting a little bit of uh, turmoil between Korob and and Sylvia, and we get some great dialogue from Sylvia here. Yes, where we get uh, the idea that. Um, These forms are very, very new to them. And yes, the feelings and sensations that come with those forms are new to them. And we also get a reference to uh, a callback almost to um, what are little girls made of when uh, there was just a reference to the old ones. Yes.
2: I was just going to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. And and Cole uh, and, and Cole Rob is talking about they they owe they owe it to the old ones and they're they're making some, he feels they're making some poor decisions. Yeah. Very strange camera angles they're using on Korob. This is like really tight close up.
1: Yeah. There's a couple
2: times they've done that. So there it is again.
1: Yeah. It's almost like a hard POV.
2: Yeah. Very weird. So I guess yeah. this is, this is supposed to be, uh, you know, she's really in charge.
1: Yeah. And this is the scene really where we see sort of that flip where um, we do get the, the, uh, you know, uh, the idea that it really is her show to call.
2: Yeah, and he's more of the assistant, even though we saw him first. Yeah. And he seems to be wielding that magic wand thing. But he's not uh, hes not really calling the shots.
1: Yeah, and then she's got
2: to call oh. him, old man. Oh, that's is, a shame. Yeah.
1: Well, especially considering that the body he's in is just completely uh, arbitrary. I, I, mean, I don't couldn't know. Couldn't he
2: choose to look different? I mean... Stands to reason. If that's not those aren't their real real bodies, they could just kind of make themselves look like whatever.
1: That's a pretty cool look, though.
2: Oh, for him, yeah. It kind of looks like a wizard. Yeah,
1: or warlock.
2: Yeah, pretty. Yeah, good call. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and here we go now. Kirk is going to teach the alien how to be a human woman.
1: Yeah, and he, you know, he throws a a, a slight dig at her. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, referencing that she's, uh, she's not a a, a real woman. Mm -hmm. Um, but it seems like this form is somehow, she's becoming, uh, uh, you know, engrossed, uh, with it and, uh, and almost, uh, in love with the, what that form is bringing her in terms of senses and feelings and sensations.
2: Yeah. And it seems like it's, forcing her to do things that she not, not, wouldn't necessarily do in her original form. So she's having some difficulty adapting and and maintaining control of her herself. So Kirk, of course, is going to use his suave. <laughs> yeah. He's just kind of he's like, you know what? Here we go. I'm just going to put get my swerve on because like, nothing else has worked so far, right? Brute force didn't work. The phasers don't work. Yeah. And he, can't, he can't just get beamed out of there. So, uh, He's got to turn on that old Captain Kirk charm.
1: Yeah, and and the interesting here, thing here for me is Sylvia seems um, pretty on board with uh, with some of the sacrifices or trade offs that she might have to make um, to retain, you know, this form.
2: Hmm. Yeah, and well, I mean, what what's not to like? She's got she's got this great human form she seems to like and she's still got all of her special powers. It doesn't seem like she's really losing a heck of a lot,
1: yeah, yeah, but i I guess in her in her natural state, um they're not really a, a species that wants or desires or needs or or even um experiences things um from anything but like a cerebral level,
2: yep. True, and well, we'll see more of that as, as time goes on, mm-hmm. but it seems like um, she's trying to kind of bribe him once again. We have all all of these beings seem to want to bribe the humans with, we'll give you anything you desire. I can yeah. give you anything. Apollo was, yeah, you have everything you ever wanted. You know, we'll take care of you. And she's got to do this, it's the same trope kind yeah. of thing again, and, and uh-oh. Her hairstyle changed. Yeah. That's a strange-looking hairdo. And her outfit changed. That's yeah. That's pretty risque.
1: Yeah, I was almost expecting her to turn green at one point. Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, th- th- that's not really great. <laughs> that's not great. She looks kind of like a clown now. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. That's better. Get get the black thing back on. <laughs> I don't know what that, that, that third outfit was supposed to mean with that white wig, but uh, she yeah. looked kind of like a clown.
1: Yeah, well, because it was like the baggy clothes...
2: Yeah, and just kind of swirling around. Like, yeah, all right, change back, please. <laughs> I think you're going overboard with this stuff. Yeah, so. but
1: and this is what I referenced earlier, where you know Kirk is taking advantage of her, you know, or playing with her, much in the same way that he played with Andrea on What Are Little Girls Made Of, or you know, the episodes where he sort of outsmarted computers. Um, you know, he's definitely. Taking advantage of, um, you know, her inexperience or her uh, her lack of understanding uh, of the situation.
2: Yeah, exactly. And he, I think he's using the only method available to him. To yeah. get out of this scenario is his his suave. So yeah. he's actually getting some info out of her about this transducer yeah so now he at least he knows there's a source of power it's not it's not innate within them necessarily there's a that transducer which we don't exactly know what it is yet uh oh, she's yeah. on to him, yeah, yep, you're using me, uh oh Kirk, you're in trouble now, buddy
1: yeah well and and this is cool because this is like sort of her first taste of real like human drama,
2: exactly, exactly. she didn't know what to expect, yeah. But uh NCA yeah, Kirk's just gonna fire right back because you know they is he's actually right they're, he's they're using Kirk and his crew so why shouldn't he employ the same tactics right
1: oh totally turnabouts yeah. fair
2: play honey uh- oh and she's threatening again yeah yeah uh, that's not cool <laughs> <laughs> she's gonna sweep their worlds away Wow yeah. yeah they're that powerful I don't know about that. That that seems to be a stretch. I mean, I can see how they can they, they can affect things in a small local setting, but yeah. entire planets.
1: Well, sometimes we say things in anger that um, we can't really deliver on. We
2: certainly do. We certainly do. Mm-hmm. But it and seems it, another trait of all of these omnipotent, powerful beings—they they they are full of threats.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and they're also very, very sort of, um, you know childish in their reaction when they, uh, you know, can't get what they want.
2: Exactly. It's the same thing we've seen from Charlie X and from Trelane and Apollo in a way. And
1: And now we get a little bit more of um, human drama, whereas Korob, uh, you know, overhearing everything Sylvia was saying has, uh, I guess, decided to... um, You know, throw his hat in the ring with uh, the Enterprise crew, Um, I guess, because ultimately he thinks that this would lead to whatever their main objective was.
2: Yeah. And we're getting a little bit of of backstory here about what's going on with the other crew members that he he can no longer command them. They actually are under Sylvia's power. So there's Mm -hmm. seemingly no way to break them free. So we've got three major characters who are on the line at this point. Yeah. So I guess there's some drama there. I mean, it seems to be pretty high stakes though. Oh, totally. Three guys on the line. I oh, yeah. I don't know how you could you could think that they were going to wipe out three characters in one shot.
1: Yeah, well, you do have the strong presence of DeSal though. It's true. You could be like, "Hey, DeSal's going to he's going to fill the Scotty role."
2: Yeah, he could be the new Scotty. And I guess we'll check off and he could be the new Sulu. Yeah. But what are they gonna do about McCoy? Yeah. That is
0: Yeah,
2: I don't know. Uh-oh, uh oh. We're gonna run into the giant cat again.
1: Yeah. So Sylvia has decided, I guess, that uh cat forms the way to go.
2: Yeah, and it's a huge cat too. So it's a and it's a big shadow, though. They use the, the shadow as the uh the representation of the large cat.
1: Yeah, but then they do some cool like uh rear screen or, you know, a projection with the with the doorway. Mm-hmm we get some cool uh large cat um action.
2: What Spock just said the cat is the most ruthless? <laughs> and that's not true. Uh, I I know. Uh Uh Spock.
1: Hey. Yeah.
2: Oh, uh, well, see, I told you the phasers wouldn't work. There's always a way to disable all this great technology. Once again. But he said the phaser is drained. Yeah. So they drain, they drain the power out of it. It's like is that the first time we we understand that a phaser can be drained of power? Oh no, wait I, a minute. Galileo wanna, 7. Yeah, I was going to say
1: there was another episode I thought where where we learned that. And uh it was cool here how they had the cat move in slow motion um to sort of sell the the effect that it was larger.
2: Yeah, and they must have had a a small tunnel built for the cat to run through so it looked like it was running it was bigger than it was. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't running through the human-sized tunnels. It was running through a miniaturized tunnel. Oh, look at this. And they're going to go back through the same hole they fell through. Yep. So, uh-oh. Oh, uh, and the cat's coming. Yeah. So you get a little tension building here that they're being pursued by this gigantic cat. Mm-hmm. And, do you uh-oh. do you keep
1: collars on your cats? No. Yeah. I do Neither, not. Yeah, I you know, mine doesn't have one either and I I was wondering uh you know, if if how how common that was oh, in, and boom, Korra crushed by the door. Oh
2: man. And he this can't, is, can't even fit through the door though.
1: Yeah, and this is kind of a a cool moment because if this was one of Kirk's crew members um it's undeniable that he would stay behind and find a way to get oh, him free. Absolutely. But uh, here, Cora basically said, "Go," and Kirk was like, "You don't got to tell me twice. Give me the transmuter <laughs> and uh, let's get going."
2: But he did try to save him.
1: Yeah, no, he did. He made a go of it. He did. But uh, you know, you can almost wonder what would he have done if that was, you know, Scotty.
2: Uh, yeah, he, he. Well, I'm sure he would have found a way to to pry the door off. He would have had Spock jump back down to help.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oof. And oh. Yeah, here we're going to get some great fighting.
2: Um, Yeah, and some great double
1: work as well.
2: Yeah, there is. Yeah, definitely great stunt double work. McCoy's got some sort of a mace in his hands. So we have some like medieval weaponry. Oh, Scotty's got one too.
1: Yeah, uh, and man, did
2: McCoy
1: go down quick though.
2: Well, Kirk got a good crack right in his jaw. Oh, this is some
1: awesome um, hand-to-hand stuff here. And um, I'm really interested in, you know, the the movements that Sulu's making here, it almost seems like a very defined fighting style.
2: Yeah. It's like some sort of martial art in a way like, well, I'm not sure exactly what that is, but
1: <laughs> I think they're all a little bit um, outside of their, their normal. Oh, um, yeah. Kirk um, strength just kicked levels. the mace yeah.
2: out of McCoy's hand.
1: Yeah. And Sulu basically backed up and fell into that door and knocked himself out. Yeah, pretty much. So I wonder if that zombie state sort of affected your ability to stay conscious.
2: That's a good question. Maybe they're not in full control of their uh, their faculties, so they're a little bit easier to deal. Well, Spock nerve pinched Scotty. Yeah, but that—that's the one nerve pinch roll. I wonder if you can nerve pinch the cat.
1: I'm sure there. I'm sure you can.
2: Hmm. What wonder if he could mind meld with the cat.
1: Oh, definitely.
2: Yeah. no, that would be I, pretty cool.
1: I know it would probably be hard to keep the cat
2: still. <laughs> well, that's probably true. Could, he could nerve pinch it first. Yeah. Ah, and, you know, they left the transducer behind. They're lucky that didn't fall through the hole again during now, the scuffle.
1: has, has Spock ever uh, mind melded with an unconscious
2: um, mm-hmm. being? That's a good question. I don't think so.
1: Yeah. I wonder, wonder if he everybody.
2: could. Hmm. I wonder yeah, it's a good question. If you have to be conscious or not.
1: Because it seems like he, you know, he explains what's going on uh some of the times when he when he's mind melding.
2: Yeah, well, if he can mind meld with a robot, yeah. robots aren't conscious beings.
1: Yeah, they're just ones and zeros.
2: Yeah. Uh oh. So we cat get the vanished.
1: Yeah, we get the final Sylvia reveal for the uh for the uh the climax of the episode.
2: Oh, and Spock. Spock calls her out and says he knows she's trying to get the wand back. Yeah, Uh, she's
1: trying to, you know, uh, um, I guess, um, you know, play some some tricks of her own after being used by Kirk earlier.
2: Yeah. And I get well, I I assume that we now are are getting the idea that she needs that transducer, that wand. Yeah. For something. Obviously, she has powers without it. Oh, she's telling her he doesn't know how to use it. So she's making a last ditch effort to sway Kirk to come with her. Where we don't know, but and mm-hmm. they, yeah, that they they need they need what's in Kirk's head, yeah, to be more than I guess what they are. Mm-hmm. Now they're getting addicted to her. She's getting addicted to it. Yeah. Wow, she's really getting risque there with Kirk.
1: Yeah, down you know that was a little bit strange. It it was. You
2: ask for love, but return pain instead. Hmm. Kirk making his little speech. Oh, and she's got the drop on him with a phaser. Yeah. But, Hmm. boom. Oh, he broke the transducer. (laughs) Like, what else could he do at that point? It was a gamble. Calculated risk, I guess. Yeah. But now we're back outside smoke's gone and
1: everybody looks like they're in their normal state
2: yeah it looks like we can see some sort of a blue wall in the background there i guess it's supposed to be the sky but
1: yeah and hey look it was star trek arts and crafts yeah
2: it was there and they're like little pipe cleaner looking guys (laughs) i guess that was that was their true form and oh they're dying yeah oh that's a shame they're kind of cool so non-humanoids rare yeah. Rare, but we're seeing some more non-humanoids. So what did we have? We had the Horda.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: We had the Flying Omelets. Yeah. And these guys. Mm-hmm. They kind of look like little pipe cleaner shrimps or something. Yeah. Well, too late, yeah. they're dead. Oh, man. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Oh, well. And we could have studied them. Yeah. Prime directive. Yeah. Uh, and But they did claim the life of one crew member.
1: Yeah jackson <sighs> it's a shame yeah well get one final shot and man this is it this is the the end of cat's paw my uh my cat is um comfortably asleep at this point i guess after uh after the cat had its uh its final uh appearance uh yeah. he lost interest
2: Yeah. so essential get, voting
1: yeah um i'll go if you want sure um as much as I sort of enjoyed this episode, especially after learning uh, that it was pretty much intended to be a Halloween episode, a, a very rare holiday-themed episode of Star Trek, um, there's just nothing on display here um, that we we don't see anywhere else to make this essential for me. And I don't think... Um, It's that well-known enough to really sort of fall into that cocktail party rule, especially considering that I can't remember seeing this episode since, you know, like the Mm -hmm. mid-90s. So as much as I'd like to find a way to maybe squeeze this through, um, I just can't vote it uh, anything but non-essential.
2: Yeah, me neither. So the holiday episode thing is cool. That's a really cool footnote, and I think it's cool to see Chekhov's wig as his first production appearance. I think that's really great. And of course, it's the first production episode to have all seven characters in it, which is cool too. But uh, I don't think any of that really adds up necessarily to it being an essential episode. But if if we could create a a, a another category to say what episodes are not essential, but meh, nah, they're kind of fun to watch for this reason or that reason. They don't necessarily fit into that essential mold, but uh, if you have some extra time, throw your eyes on it just as a goof.
1: Yeah, you know what? And, and I'd imagine that when we're done with the entire series, um, that's something we could go back and do maybe in like our season three um, look back. We could devote a portion of that to looking back to all three seasons yeah. and sort of cherry picking you know some of those fun episodes.
2: Yeah, definitely, definitely. So it looks like a double non-essential vote on Cat's Paw, and uh, we're going to be back again next week with I Mud, the second Harry Mud episode. And as always, if you want to catch up with us on social media, we are available on Twitter at ttt underscore pod and Facebook.com slash the Triquarter Transmissions. We also have a website, the Triquarter dot com.
0: A lot of buzz has been generated about the series. NBC seemed proud of it, given the fact that it had been nominated for five Emmy Awards. Dr. Isaac Asimov called it the first good television science fiction show. Large volumes of fan mail kept pouring in at NBC. The only other show to receive more fan mail was The Monkees. Now, that brings me to a behind-the-scenes story. It was often cited that the reason for adding Ensign Pavel Chekov in the series' second season was this. The Russian newspaper Pravda took umbrage at the fact that Star Trek, a show about space exploration, did not have a Russian aboard. After all, wasn't Russia the first country to venture into outer space? But it was in direct response to the monkey's popularity that the Chekov character, played by Walter Koenig, was added to the crew. Chekov was meant to be a Davy Jones look-alike, and it was the network's hope that he would appeal to the teens and young adults who were watching the monkeys. It wouldn't be the last time that NBC monkeyed around with Star Trek.